So, evening everybody. Um, before I, I uh, preach tonight, there is a scripture that's in my heart for us. Um, and it's in Romans, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I have a sense tonight for us, before we, we get into the word, to say, Lord, we're going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, singing, as we've been doing now, and we call that worship, is wonderful, and I think it's something we're supposed to do, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But there's another, there's a wider aspect to worship. And the wider aspect to worship is when I bring me. And when we come before the Lord. And, and sometimes we, 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 we preach a message and then we say, will you respond to it? I want to ask if we do it the other way around tonight. And say, Lord, we unreservedly bring ourselves as a living sacrifice. The word is going to fall on fertile soil tonight because we've come in that way. And so what I'm going to do is just, let's have a, a little bit of quietness. You may want to just close your eyes for a bit so that you don't get distracted. You may want to say to the Lord tonight and to the Spirit of the Lord, Father, I bring my body and all of me in that sense, all of me, Lord, I choose tonight to be a living sacrifice. As you consider that, will you consider to whom you're doing that? That this is not a friend. This is not somebody special in your life. This is God. This is the one before whom there are living creatures that day and night they worship and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the one that when the apostle John uh, was, was, had a vision and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he just fell down as though dead. Because when he began to see and realize for the first time the full greatness of God, he could not contain it. When we come and we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, let's do it as unto the Lord, as people who know God, because he's worthy of nothing less than your all and my all tonight. Maybe there's something that you would like to do. This is not an enforced thing. We don't enforce things here. But as just to help you in that, in a sense, prophetically, do you have a sense I'm bringing my body as a living sacrifice? Maybe I can ask you where you are to stand. And as you stand, you're saying, God, I'm standing before you. I offer myself to you again tonight as a living sacrifice. take time to do that, but do it really sincerely. I was reading just yesterday in, in Daniel. You know what 
when the angel came to speak to Daniel, he said to Daniel, you are highly esteemed before the Lord. And I thought, wow. Sometimes God sees us very differently to the way we see ourselves. Imagine what it's like to, in the presence of the Lord, to say, you're precious to me. You're highly esteemed. I value your love. I so enjoy it when you worship me. You are my people, and I'm your God. This is no ordinary community. These are God's people. These are the people that Jesus died for. These are the people who know what it means to, to have a new spirit and to have new life in God. So, Father, thank you for your church. We are your church. Lord, it's hard to, for us to even conceive how much you love us, and Lord, how precious we are in your sight tonight. But God, it's amazing to think that every person is precious to the Lord here. So Lord, we've come to bring ourselves as living sacrifices. Holy Spirit, I ask that you work in our hearts as I bring the word tonight. May what's of you remain, and that which comes from you remain. Lord, let the rest be discarded. Because all that has value comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you. So you will see from the big board on the side over there, it's on your left-hand side, that we're starting a new series this evening. We've already started it in the morning, and uh, the, the ideas that we're going to talk about this series, which we call Engage in, in, in all of the, the services at Connect, because we feel it's something important. And in this new series... We want to reignite in people's hearts a passion for people who do not yet know Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's reigniting a passion. And I think there are times we need to reignite a passion in our lives. It's interesting when you go back into the book of Acts that you will notice and discover there's something really special happening where un usual numbers of people are being saved and coming to the Lord. And I, what I did is, for, just so that we can pick up on the flow of what happens in Acts, I, I've just pulled out some scriptures that, that speak about almost every chapter as you go through Acts, you, you discover this is what's being said. In Acts chapter 2, it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You go to Acts chapter 4, it says the number of men grew to about 5,000. Go to Acts chapter 5. It says more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. You go to Acts chapter 6. It says a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You go to Acts chapter 12. It says, so uh, the church was strengthened and it grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. You go to Acts chapter 9. And it says this became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. And what's even more amazing is that people were coming to faith in Jesus even though there was persecution that was happening. I mean, we haven't got a clue what it was like in those days. We haven't got a clue what it was like to be a believer in those days. For us, being a believer is super easy in most cases. We, we, got, we can sit in church, we can come and worship freely, we can come and go. In many senses, we can say what 
is on our hearts. But people in those days, when they came to the Lord, they did so knowing it could cost them. They could go to prison. They could suffer. They could, they could be rejected and often were. Now, when Paul writes about his ministry to the Gentiles, he describes what was happening that his preaching of the gospel was accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. So not only was Paul preaching the gospel, but as he was doing that, he was seeing God doing signs, wonders, and miracles at the same time. So let's look at that in Acts chapter 15. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I've written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again because of the grace that God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished, listen to this, through me, in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and by what I have done by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. And in the New Testament, and as we begin to read through the New Testament, we discover that people were coming to faith in Jesus because of the effort that was being put into it. People didn't just come to church on Sunday and say, God, we hope that people will get saved through that. People were going out of their way to win people for Christ. It was, it was something they were being intentional about, to use a word. And you see, people like Paul had a real passion to see people saved. I think passion is a word that we are all familiar with. Our generation understands what the word passion means. People are passionate about getting fit. So they take up running, and then they take up cycling, and then they join the gym because they're passionate about getting fit. They do all of those things. People are passionate about being healthy. And so they have special eating plans, supplements they add to their food, and things they don't even want to eat because they're passionate about being healthy. People are passionate about getting a good education. I'm always quite amazed and sometimes amused that people will queue up through the night outside Sweet Valley to get their kids into school. They're passionate about a good education. In Romans, 
when Paul re- writes over here, we read about a man who is passionate about people wanting, uh, wanting to see people getting saved. That's where his passion was. Listen to what he says in verse 20. It's, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Listen to, listen to what he says earlier in Romans in chapter 9. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying because it might sound as though he's lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Friends, that's what I call passion for people. In 1 Corinthians 9, He writes again. This is how he puts it. He said, I've become a servant of everyone. I'm willing to serve people so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with the Jews, I become one of them so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same even though I'm not subject to the law so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, I gain their uh, confidence rather, and bring them to Christ. But I do not discard the law of God. I obey, obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are oppressed, I share in their oppression so that I might bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everybody so that I might bring them to Christ. That's a passion. That's a passion to see people saved. Paul, as you can hear, had a passion to to preach the gospel in unreached areas. In other words, where people hadn't previously been. And he was so passionate about that. That was so much a priority, even though he wanted to go and visit the people, the Christians and believers in Rome. He couldn't, he was kept from going over and over again because he said, my priority is to reach people for Christ. It's amazing when your priority to reach people for Christ is more important than the things you would like to do. I wonder if it would be true to say this evening that when we begin to prioritize reaching others who do not know Jesus, it has an impact on them. And they begin to realize how serious we are about them believing in Jesus. Isn't it true that people read our passion? In Luke's gospel, Jesus explains why he was spending so much time with tax collectors and sinners. And you know, Jesus had quite a tough time because people felt quite free to tell each other what they thought of him. Like, that still happens a little bit today. We kind of feel that freedom. And in Luke chapter 5, the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? I mean, that's like quite heavy stuff. 
Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call sinners to turn from their sins, not to spend my time with those who think they are already good enough. That's Jesus. Passion for people. As Paul was speaking about his ministry to the Gentiles, he describes it in a very interesting way. And it's very important for us to see that. He describes it as what God was doing through him. That's how he describes it. We mustn't miss the point that Paul's making over here. There needs to be a strong belief and a clear understanding that you and I have a part to play. But at the same time, we are also trusting God to do what only he can do in the lives of other people. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's all about what God is doing through people. And through what Paul was doing, he was going to places where people hadn't heard about Jesus, and he was preaching the gospel, and then he was seeing seeing what God was doing in other people's lives because he was going and because he was trusting the Lord. I personally believe that's why Jesus said to that small group of 120 believers before they set out to go and make disciples of the nations, he said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. And once you've received power from the Holy Spirit, you will be the kind of witnesses that you need to be. I think the church, as a church, we need to keep going back to to God's blueprint in the Bible. We can't reinvent the wheel of evangelism. You see, when people come to faith in Jesus, it's because of what God is doing through us. When people come to faith in Jesus, it's never, ever because of us. It's always a supernatural work of God. I just need to make that clear. He may use you, but it's Him that brings the increase. When he was writing to the Corinthian, he said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. That was a style of speaking that people had in those days. As I proclaim to you the ministry about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. You can't imagine that Paul got a bit fearful or trembled a bit. Well, this is, these are his own words. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but this is what they were with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. And I have wondered in going through this series again if one of the things as a church we don't need to give attention to is a fresh outpouring of Holy Spirit power in our congregation. 
And I want to say that not so that we can have a lacquer time when we're doing singing here and worshiping. I'm saying so we get out there. The power of God is upon us to do the work of God again. I think one of the things that I've so enjoyed reading is churches that have struggled and battled and they've stayed small and they've not seen any God doing anything through them and they've got desperate enough to go to God and start praying and say, God, will you please do something with us because we are just existing. And I think as I stand here tonight of a, a couple of different churches that have done that, and pastors that were bold enough to say, God, we're sick and tired of just playing church. And they called their people and said, we're going to pray until the Holy Spirit comes here and there's a move of God. And friends, I want to say when the Holy Spirit comes in power, you know it. You don't have to discuss it. It's there. It's evident. It's obvious because God is doing stuff in people. You don't need to be rich. You don't have to have fancy resources. You just need the Holy Spirit. And it happens. One of my favorite books, if you ever get hold of it, read it. It's old. It's about a Zulu man by the name of William Zuma. And he lived in, in, in Natal, in KwaZulu-Natal. And he was called there to pastor a church as a young guy. And he said, we tried for a whole year to get the thing going. He said, we even printed nice brochures. He said, we had really our best-looking men standing outside the church inviting people in off the streets. He said, after a year, nothing had changed. And that Zulu, young Zulu man went on his own, and he said, I'm going to seek God's face for three weeks of prayer and fasting. And on the last day of his prayer and fasting, he said, I looked up. And he said, I thought the sun had risen because he was praying before the sun came up. And he said, everywhere I looked around me was gold. And he said, I heard the voice of God saying, look at the lilies in the valley. Your church is going to flourish like that. And as he went back to his church, the Holy Spirit began to work. And people started coming to Jesus. And isn't it time for us to say, God, we'll do the work, but unless you move, it's all going to bear little fruit. I think it's also important to say this evening that although God will use us in different ways, He's going to use all of us. We can't keep putting the responsibility of evangelism or sharing our faith, sharing the gospel on other people. You can't say we're going to leave it up to the pastors. God has entrusted every one of his church to do the work of that means you. I want you to just imagine what would happen if all of us were faithfully, passionate, 
about winning people to Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, what would begin to happen? If Jesus could do it with 12 guys, we're a little bit more than that. Listen to what Paul said when he wrote. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, God made it grow. You're going to do something, you're going to do something, I'm going to do something else. At the end of the day, God makes it grow. But you also need to realize there's going to be opposition to the gospel. That's the tough one. In the early church, there was opposition, there was persecution, people pushed back. And it's still happening today. You know what? That's, you know what the church did when that happened? They prayed. Because you see, the Christians always understand one thing. The devil's on the back foot, we're not. The church begins to pray when there's opposition, and the church says, more boldness, Lord, more signs and wonders, Lord, more, Lord, we're here, we're your children, come do it, Lord, we're trusting you, God, because you know what the church understands? We never do it in our own strength, always his strength. My goal this evening is not to talk about evangelism. You've heard, all heard too many sermons on that already. I want us to become passionate about evangelism. And some of the key factors that I want to leave with you tonight that I believe will help us in this journey of sharing our faith, sharing the gospel with other people, is some key factors. The first one, if we can go to the next slide, please, is that we need to learn to love people. I don't think the hard part is sharing with people. I think the hard part is loving them. It's easy to love the nice people around you, but there are some unlovely people around and there are some people uh, around that are, are unwanted, and there are people are around that, that lots of people avoid. And Jesus says, love them. Love them. And you might end up saying to yourself, God, there's some people I can love, but those, that's a bit beyond my reach. God says, well, why don't you ask me to change your heart? Because if God changes your heart and my heart, it will happen. Learning to love people. Secondly, figure out how the Holy Spirit wants to use you. Paul said, I planted Apollos watered. Please don't try and be like somebody else. How does God want to use you? I think it's going to be different. But you know what? When you put it all together, it's amazing what begins to happen. Kerry, my wife, was overseas at a, at a conference some years ago. It was a really big conference. And the speaker at one of the sessions said, I want you to indicate to me how you got saved. 
And then he mentioned, okay, put up your hands if it was to a book you read. Put it up your hands if it was to a TV series you watched. Put up your hands if it was to uh, coming to church. Put up your hands if it was to somebody coming alongside of you and sharing Christ. Guess, guess which got about 90% of the votes. Somebody coming alongside of you. You see, we need to realize we are invaluable in this process. God doesn't want a program. He wants willing people. And figure out, ask the Lord, Lord, how do you best use me? How do you use my life? All you've got to figure out is that, and then all you've got to do is be obedient after that. Thirdly, just be yourself. You don't need to look at some guy that you really admire or some lady that you really admire and say, Lord, I'd like to be like her. You know, I've got some good news for you and some bad news. The bad news is never going to do it. And the good news is you, God made you an original. He didn't want you to be different to anybody else. Listen to what Paul says here in Romans 12. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God's given to you. God's given us a measure of faith. Don't think about yourself more than, than what you are. Be yourself. Do what God's called you to do and allow him to do the rest. And I need to say that evangelism always begins with prayer. I guess as a generation it would be true to say that we like to get on with the job. And I believe that that's one of our failings, that until we have been on our knees before the Lord and say, God, will you come now? that a lot of our efforts are often wasted. All of our enthusiasm is wasted. Because you need to fundamentally understand that it's God that's going to do the work. We, we're going to be the servants, sure. But it's the working of God in a person's life that changes them. I'm going to put it out, go a bit risky this evening. So I'm not going to be legalistic because I... That's not a great idea. We've got a prayer meeting at half past six where the church comes together once a month. It's this Tuesday to pray. How about all of you rock up so that we can pray for people to get saved? And then let's see what God's going to do. It's no good us being about other stuff if we're going to be passionate about seeing people saved we're not prepared to pray it through. The next one is, it's a, it's a phrase that I have made up. So you're not going to find it in the Bible. But it's called, I call it ministering out of overflow. People who've spent time with Jesus talk about Jesus. You're not going to be talking about Jesus if you haven't spent any time with him. You're going to be talking about everything else that you have been doing. And I've just found 
the thing that causes me to talk a lot about Jesus is what's in my heart. And what's in my heart is filled up when I've spent time with Him. The next one is, leave the miracles up to the Lord. You're not the miracle worker. He is. How about us just going out there and saying, God, I will just be faithful with what you've called me to do, but I'm leaving the miracles up to you. I think it might take quite a lot of pressure off some people. Then be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts? He got saved because Philip heard the Lord speaking to him and said, go down to the Damascus road, the desert road rather, and you go and wait there and you're going to see what's going to happen. And he went there and the Ethiopian eunuch, I think it might have been the first African who was ever saved, was because Philip was listening to the Holy Spirit. What about Paul when he, when he has a call to go across to Macedonia? He's been trying and he's been preaching in Asia and the door seemed to be closing. In fact, he said God was closing the door. And one night I had a vision and I, this is my vision. He had a man from Macedonia. Now, how do you know it was a man from Macedonia? Probably because of the way he was dressed. And the guy saying, son, Paul says that's a word from the Lord. On the boat. Across to Macedonia. And you see churches being planted because he was obedient to the Spirit. And I could go on and on and on. And then the last one's probably the most simple of all. Take a step of faith and just do it. Just do it. Just take your first step. I, I'm aware that tonight that, that maybe some of you have, have never done this. And you're saying, Don, do you realize what you're asking me to do? The answer is, yes, I do. I'm asking you to do what you said at the beginning. Lord, I bring my body as a living sacrifice. I want to do it. I don't know if you, like me, are quite concerned about what's happening in our country at the moment and what's happening in our city at the moment. Friends, I believe that will change when the church wakes up. And I don't want to say that in a critical sense, but I... I believe God is waiting for the church to awaken. And I think we will make a difference. I believe we will make a significant difference. I've sensed for tonight that we need to put some of this into practice. And uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and lead us in some more worship. Then I'd, I want, for those people tonight who are saying, will you pray for me? I want a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I want to be empowered not to have a nice church service. Not so that you can feel nice. This is the only reason I want to be a witness. It's the only reason. We want to pray for that. And so during the worship time, I'm going to invite you, if you would like prayer for that, you come to the front. We'll have some of our leaders up here, if the leaders can come to the front, and elders and pastors and whatever, come to the front. Let's pray for you.
Let's begin this process tonight. Let's not leave it another minute. Let's go for it. I think we're in a season of God's opportunity and grace. And let's seize that moment before it's too late. Amen? Cool.